Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from Cape Town, South Africa, Celeste Stewart. Celeste, welcome to the show. Good morning, and thanks for having me, Ashutosh. Thank you. Celeste is the CEO and founder of Bold Curiosity, which is a learning and development consultancy organization. So Celeste, before we get into Bold Curiosity, tell me in brief your own background and what made you start your own company. So I've always been interested in adult learning, Mm -hmm. and I think that realization for me crystallized when I started working in the adult learning space. Mm-hmm. And so my, my, my background is I have an undergrad with um, psychology as a major and sociology. And I, I sort of, I did what I needed to in terms of academic qualifications, but mm-hmm. I battled at school mm-hmm. because the school system was never designed for a learner like me. You know, I'm kinesthetic, I'm a learner. I need to move while I'm talking. Mm-hmm. I need to engage in conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm saying it was when I came across the world, the work of adult learning, and I realized mm-hmm. how nuanced it is and, and all the thinking that actually goes into it that makes learning a wonderful experience for everyone, not mm-hmm. just a certain type of learner. That really got me excited and curious about mm-hmm. adult learning. And that's how I started getting into adult learning through consulting background as mm-hmm. well as working in corporate and you know always I, I always found myself in the the learning slash training section of mm. the HR department and that's what always made me happy and I love the challenge of being able to uh, design a learning experience that's going to ignite people's passion and dive and motivation and so that's always been my calling and that's sort of very very high level my background of working in that space oh, yeah, until I formed Bold Curiosity. Then that's a great uh, way to start talking about Bold Curiosity. So tell me about the venture and what do you do here? So Bold Curiosity, and like, uh, like you've said earlier, it's a learning consultancy. But I think it's, um, you know, we there's so many conversations happening now about learning and adult learning and the work of neuroscience that that backs up what what I've I've always believed but bold curiosity is a consultancy that partners with organizations to be on a mission to build a learning culture in the organization Mm -hmm. to design learning solutions that are going to work for people in the organization Mm -hmm. and I I started really with my work with young people which is Mm -hmm. a significant part of of my business and there Mm -hmm. the focus is on helping young people transition from an academic space. I call it the world of school, which is a very Mm. broad term, Mm. Um, but helping them make a successful transition to the workplace because as you and I both know, your academic qualification gets you, it's a foot in the door. But when you're in the organization, there's a completely different set of skills that, that one needs. And yeah, you know, if we look at two organizations like, the World Economic Forum, they talk about your top 15 skills that any professional needs, whether you're a data scientist or a nurse or facilitator, we all need to learn these competencies. And so I get to partner with the businesses I work with Mm -hmm. um, to to do that and ignite that passion for learning, whether it's on an organizational level or a team level or an individual level. And Mm -hmm. Bold Curiosity really started with 
with uh, learning solutions for young people. And mm -hmm. it is it has diversified since then, but that is a very big part of the work that I do. Oh, wonderful. Help me also understand how you design and implement learning experiences for growth and success and do give some examples. So, so as I said, working with young people, growth and success for me, those are the two words that I almost, I keep in my business to hold me accountable and ensure that I remain true to, you know, designing learning that's going to work for people. Hmm. And so growth and success, and the best example I can give of that is graduate development programs. So an organization will get in contact with me and say, we've got uh, 50 grads coming, graduates coming into our organization, hmm. and they are a blend of people qualified from different academic streams, and you need to partner with us. And so where the growth and success comes from is I would look at indicators like what are the leadership competencies that any professional needs, not just for today, but five years from now. And then whatever learning programs we design can plug so easily into that. Because, you know, not only are the, those the, the leadership skills for the future, but they're also transferable skills. Mm. So wherever that young person goes, if we do something around resilience, you know, a day scientists with resilient skills can go anywhere mm. if that person wants to make a quite a hectic move into marketing for instance and mm -hmm. I say hectic because it's different to what you studied you've got that set of resilience in your toolbox skills right. that you can take with you and and growth because um the workshop is designed for inside out growth if we mm -hmm. look at the work of authentic leadership mm -hmm. so everything begins with with self-leadership and that's how whatever we designed um, talks to that and allows for that and creates a space for that through mm. the program, the group work we do, and then the one-on-one -on -one work that also supplements some of the um, group facilitation mm. that happens. So broadly speaking, that's our, um, yeah, that's how I would answer that question. Mm. Wonderful. Um, you also were, you know, right about in your, you know, the papers that you sent me, the World Economic Future Forum's uh, Future of Jobs report. Mm. Tell me how you are using some of the findings. So that's a report that I constantly keep my eye on because, you know, it's it's useful data and research about how the world is changing. And as we know, you know, especially with the past three years, the world has changed substantially. Correct. And I think pr prior to COVID, we were already in the state of flux with fourth industrial revolution. Some people say we're in the fifth industrial revolution mm. already. Either way, we were in a state of flux anyway. And then COVID came along and just amplified mm. everything we were dealing with. So to me, the World Economic Forum matters because it gives me a global perspective about top 15 skills for 2025, um, growing skills as well as declining skills. So if you look at the declining skills for 2022, and I just briefly looked at it again before our call, mm. one of it is um, manual dexterity and being able to like memorize information. And I love mm. that because it's true. Young people don't need to memorize things any longer. Mm. They've got access to information, be it on Google or the company server or their mobile devices. Yeah. You know, it's so easily available. And then what I love about the growing skills, number two on the list of top 15 skills says 
active learning and learning strategies. And I think that's beautiful because for people like us who have always appreciated the value of learning, Mm. um, now finally we've got license to say, yo, guys, learning is as important Mm. for uh, for anyone. And it's number two on the list, you know, Mm. that that top 15 list also gives you that the, the order, the priority. And so for me, it's about telling people it's by time that we focus on not just teaching people what to learn, but also focus on how do we learn. Mm. And for us as learning professionals, it gives us the license to say we need to have learning on top of the agenda when we talk people, when we talk strategies. So that's how mm. I use those indicators. Fascinating. Um, you also do a lot of work with women leaders. Uh, Tell me about some of the leadership challenges you address when you work with women. So um, I think that it's it's layered. I think there's always the challenges that we impose on ourselves. Mm. And so, you know, work like self-limiting beliefs, uh, confidence or perceived confidence or lack thereof. And so... I, I like to start with solutions that looks at improving people's agency. Hmm. Now, Ashutosh, I, I'm one of those people. I, I don't like it when organizations or people say we must give women power. Hmm. <laughs> I believe women are powerful. We need to create spaces, though, okay. where women feel that they can connect to the inner power that's there hmm. already. Yep. And, you know, as a, as a girl growing up, I saw that with my mother. I saw that with my aunties. I saw that with my granny. Here were women who never had access to formal education, but they were resourceful and they were resilient and they mm. managed the household. So I, before I had the language to explain it, I always knew intuitively women made a plan. They, 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 could, they had the foresight. They could work towards what they needed to achieve. And so for me, it's always about when I do work in this space, hmm. it's about desire, looking at conversations to help women say, you know, you need to turn on your power first and, hmm. and don't wait for that permission, like take hmm. the permission. Correct. And then, of course, we, we can't be limited and say, well, the, the, the problem ends, you know, that's it. Just tell women to activate their power. Hmm. The other side of that is that we must be in environments that are enabling. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I did a work with an organization um, recently where we looked at focus groups to help women understand um, or to articulate at least what are the barriers that mm-hmm. are getting in your way. You know, what, what is this, the, the ceiling we talk about and what is it for you? And it's always interesting when you must present it back to someone and the person like outright rejects the feedback. Mm-hmm. And actually, whether you agree with it or not, part of creating that enabling environment is giving people the space to talk openly about what they experience. You don't have to agree with it um, or not, but just create the space for women to do that. And so then we can look at having coaching uh, circles in place, programs in place to help women. And the work that I draw on is the Playing Big Work by Tara Moore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm always grateful to to Tara and to that community that they gave me a scholarship to complete their course. And, and I draw on a lot of the playing big work there mm. in whatever one-on-one or group work are designed mm. to help women activate their leadership. Mm. So, yeah, that's how I, 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 I approach that work. 
Wonderful. And I was going to ask you about playing big, playing big later, but since you've referred to it, tell me about the work you do at the Playing Big community. First, tell me about the community also. So, so the Playing Big community, headed up by Tara Moore and a team, um, they, so she published a book years ago and then mm. started an online course, you know, and it, I think it, it, it was birthed through the coaching work she started. And it was exactly this, you know, helping women uh, connect to their power and step up to the, that, that, that innate power that you have. And then along the way, dealing with things like your inner critic. And I know that's also something that gets spoken about a lot today, you know, inner critic, self-sabotaging uh, self and then self-promotion. And the work there is all about um, recognizing that confidence can be learned. It's a muscle that you develop. And, and the ways that you approach it is starting to identify how does your inner critic show up for you? Mm -hmm. How do you, where does the inner critic come from? How do you learn to develop a lifelong relationship with your inner critic? Because you can never put that voice away altogether. Correct. And then how do you access things like your inner mentor, which I love because we, when we think about mentoring, we always think about you know, you speaking to another person, but very seldom do we talk about you being your own mentor, mm. you being your own, that, that inner wisdom that you need, your future self. And, and so I, I love the community because it's a very, very supportive group. Mm. And I love the work and just getting, again, having conversations with people about your inner critic is, is useful. And you know what I've noticed now, Ashutosh, which is really exciting is, there's so much conversations also that we're having with the grads mm. that also talks about how does your inner critic show up on your learning journey. Right. So what, what I love about the Playing Big work is, although it started for me with um, a, a female-led and a female-only community, mm. I think young people struggle with this. I think men struggle with this too. Right. I think everyone struggles with it. And yeah. so it's the kind of work that you can plug into other spaces as well. Mm. You know, I love your comment about being your own mentor. I think that's a very powerful four words that you've just used. Can you explain a little more and maybe give an example? So, so um, one of the exercises we do on the Playing Big course is we do a visualization exercise. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you almost travel on this time beam. And I hope I'm doing the exercise justice mm -hmm. now. <laughs> but you travel on a time beam and you travel to your future self. Okay. The older self who's, who is grounded, who is wise, who knows. And you get to meet that older self. And so what that initial exercise does is it gives you access to this inner future person that you have, this inner wisdom. And then, you know, there's it. obviously the, the exercise manifests very differently for everyone. Some people meet their future selves. Other people just see something. Other people hear a sound or they get a sensation. Mm -hmm. And, and we all, I always say to women, don't judge your experience. It, it is what it is for you. And we can't mm -hmm. always... You can't always rationalize it. You know, someone said to me, I just saw a piece of glass. You know, how, what the hell does this mean? And then we talk about the significance of glass and what it could mean for you. But you meet your inner mentor. And then the way I use it um, is whenever I have a challenge or I'm feeling nervous or um, I'm uncertain, I would literally sit down and close my eyes and do like a meditative type of exercise. And mm -hmm. then 
ask my inner mentor what it, what it is I need to do. Mm. And so what it does for me is that it almost removes any of those barriers I have where I think I don't have the answer within me. And I'm able to hear the voice that says, this is what you need to do. And of course, you know, it's me answering the question, but it, it helps me also um, step into those things that I actually, I have the answer. I know what I need to do. Mm. So I use it for clarity, direction. Um, also, just if I need to calm myself and be grounded, um, let's say I'm doing a talk. I do the exercise where I pretend my inner mentor is in front of me and I literally walk into my inner mentor. And so once I do that, it just anchors me and I'm calm. And that's how I've made it my own. That's and fabulous. So, so that's how I use the inner mentor concept and practice. That That's amazing. You know, I just did this inner mentor exercise uh, a few months ago with some friends and uh, our moderator actually took our photographs and used software to tell us how we would look. And he printed out a photograph and it was quite oh, wow. a shock when you walk in with absolutely white hair and uh, <laughs> you could consider using this sometime. Uh, that's lovely. Hmm. But moving on now, uh, you know, you also speak about skills that are growing and declining. Mm. Uh, tell me a little bit about these skills and why do you think they're growing and why are they declining? Well, I think with, with the, the way the world is changing and, you know, fourth slash fifth industrial revolution um, with data playing such a big part of, of what we do, I think inevitably if we're shifting into whatever industrial revolution we're in, you know, the skills we needed for um, the industrial era are no longer fit for purpose for what we need to mm. do now. I mean, I look at my kids, my, my, my children are, oh, let me get this right, <laughs> nine and 13, okay. and they are already doing engineering. They are already doing programming mm. at school. And so with the world changing and with technology taking over so much of what we're doing, AI, it's a part of our lives. That's going to have implications then for people coming into the workplace and mm. people like me, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm going to do a course shortly. I'm going to teach myself Python because mm. I need to keep up to date with the trend so that when I talk to young people and their context for coming into the world is so very different. Right. I need to be able to relate to that. And I think, you know, all of us as learning professionals need to be able to do that. Some of the work that we did very manually before, mm. um, there's no, they are smart processes. When, when mm. I speak to young people, I, I, and they laugh when I tell them the story. I always say, when I was in the working world, if you applied for to be away on, on leave, whether it's your annual leave or holiday, you had to fill in a form. <laughs> and the form had... There was a carbon copy and <laughs> you kept one copy and then you physically brought a pink sheet to the HR department. And there was one lady and her job, an entire job was take the form, sign it, make sure everyone is signed it and file it in a room. <laughs> and that was all she did, you know. I know. And when, when, I know. I, when I tell a 23-year-old person this, they are beside themselves with laughter, but they also go, why such a, a person-dependent heavy system? Why mm. didn't you just have HR automated and online? And of mm. course, when, when <laughs> that happened, when I was in the working world. So that's, it's a funny story, but it's an illustration of how the world is changing, mm. has changed. Mm. And then with that 
becomes a different set of skills. Yes, you can be an engineer, but if you're going to be an engineer, chances are you're going to be engaging with people. Mm. That notion of you being an IT specialist, as an example, and you're sitting in a room um, and you're not needing to people. I know people's not a verb, but you know, young people say, don't make me people. Well, you have to people now, whether you're an engineer, finance. And so that also means that bring your academic qualification in, but also keep your eye out on the skills required. Mm. And then one more thing is that, you know, with so many changes happening, often organizations need to restructure. Mm. And so what you don't want to do as a professional is keep yourself boxed in one space. Mm. Because should something happen and there be change, you are agile and you can take these other skills that you've learned and you can go and apply it in a different space and you can move. And so it's also about setting yourself up for now and for the future, which is why I say to young people, read that future of jobs report and keep your eye on it Mm -hmm. because there's some useful indicators. And for us on the African continent, and I must just also say this, we have to contextualize it for Mm -hmm. us. That is a global perspective, but we need to take into account that we're still playing catch up. We still have many young people. I mean, our unemployment number is insane. And we have many people who didn't, because of our past, Mm. have access to basic education. So whereas in other countries, we're talking about, you know, providing smartphones and, and iPads to everyone. In some places for us, we're still trying to put the fundamentals in place. And so it must be contextually relevant for us in our country and our continent. Well said, well said. And Celeste, I have time for one more question. And this is uh, for all the people who will listen to our conversation. What would you say are three lessons drawing upon your vast experience across so many different clients, different topics, uh, what would be three learnings or three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation? Mm. Mm. I think the, the first one is, and, and someone actually tweeted about this the other day, it was such mm. a lovely reminder, don't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. The, thing you, the thing you want to do, you are ready. Mm. Don't wait until you are perfect. You are actually ready right now. Hmm. So also in the playing big work, we talk about leap, leap with what you have right now. Hmm. When I first started my business and I go back now, I could have started years before that. But the thing that held me back is that I couldn't draw up a business plan. And Mm. so I kept thinking, because I can't speak business plan language, Mm. I can't be an entrepreneur. And for Mm. eight years, I've been running my business. So you are are absolutely ready. Work with what you have now. Mm. And then I also say that um, the power of your community is incredibly Mm. important. You know, I, I am where I am today because of the people I surround myself with. And, and not in a manipulative way. I think you yeah, can hold big mm. relationships and social capital. Mm. And so that's important. And then I also want to say, like, speak up. Don't allow yourself to be silenced. Mm. When you are sitting in a meeting, you're sitting in a group of people and you want to say something and you hold yourself back. You know, we, we become so paralyzed with fear and we live our lives with that that fear mentality. I'm not going to say this because I need to protect myself. Speak up, lean into your truth. Your truth will always protect you and it is enough. It will serve you and it will tell you where you need to go next. Mm -hmm. 
And so those are the three things I want to leave with people. Oh, wonderful. And on that note, and your three amazing lessons, don't wait, do it now. Uh, leap with what you have now. Uh, the yeah. second one is understand the power of the community. It is such mm -hmm. a, such important social capital that all of us have. And the third one is speak up. Don't uh, allow yourself to be silent uh, until unless you are heard. Uh, nobody understand what your viewpoint is. Uh, thank you, Celeste, for talking to me about your own journey. Thank you for talking to me on Bold Curiosity and all the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you for talking to me about the World Economic Forum Future of Jobs report. I mean, something new I learned uh, from, uh, you know, from you and uh, this report. Thank you also for talking to me about the playing big community um, and uh, being your own mentor. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. Thank you, Ashutosh. I had a lovely time having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.